Live from New York City, it's the Gary Knoll Show. And now, your host, Gary Knoll. Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll, and I'd like to welcome you to this program. Today, we're going to be talking about all the different ways we can help our body heal from many different conditions, the latest on health and healing. Then we're going to have not one, two, but three issues, all kind of interrelated, but we'd like you to call in and share your points of view. Also, I'll be addressing just a flood of emails on my Facebook page about what about this guy who they heard on uh, Alex Jones, Dr. Stephen Peisnick. Is he credible? Well, we're looking in all those allegations And if we feel that there's any credibility, we will invite him on the program and ask him some serious questions. So I just want to let you know that we're on top of that. Now, my guest in the last part of our program today is actually a newsmaker, is Dr. Joseph Bebe. And uh, he's going to be talking about medical laboratory tests that are critical if you really want to know what's going on in your body that your regular medical doctor may not be aware of. So... That's what we're going to talk about there. And then our calls to actions today, we're going to talk about Robert Fisk. Why are we still in Afghanistan? Robert Shear, a monster of our own creation. And that's from truthdig.com. And uh, from the independent is Robert Fisk. We are the number one listened to independent and progressive radio station in America. And the numbers, if you go up on Google and type it in, Progressive Radio, 56 million. And uh, we're ranked number one. And why? Because we try to give you information that's objective, that's not based upon any political, religious, or ethnic ideology. We're just looking for the truth and wherever it is. And sometimes it's hard to imagine that what is being shared is the truth because it runs absolutely in the face of everything that official science and official media and official governmental agencies are telling us. So who are we to be trusted or to be believed at all compared to the might and respectability and the resources for determining the truth of these major institutions? Well, truth on the side of one is still a majority the last time I looked. So it doesn't matter how big, how important, how rich, how powerful they can be, they can still be deceptive. And we'll give you some background on that today. And I'll remind you, the Gulf of Tonkin. I'll remind you of Jessica Lynch. And uh, I'll remind you of Pat Tillman. I'll remind you of the Iraqi babies in Kuwait that uh, under oath at the Congressional Human Rights Caucus on October 10, 1990, where we were told that was a reason to go in and fight Saddam Hussein. It all turned out to be lies. Was anyone held accountable? No. Were these official government statements? Yes. So the people in positions of power had to know when they were lying to us that we were gullible. We were vulnerable to being manipulated and they could get away with it. Yeah, that's it. So more on this as we go. Needless to say, we are not coming to prime you for a left or right leaning. We don't care. I believe there are a lot of good, conscientious, conservative progressive minds. I know there are. I also know there are many, many very uh, creative, holistic, liberal, progressive minds, plus all the others. Let us begin. We have a lot to share. Green tea. It's for a lot of different things. The latest is a major study that shows that it will improve your memory. Let me quote this. It says, Daily supplements of a green tea extract may boost mental alertness and enhance memory. This was a double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized study, and it was published in the Journal of Medicinal Foods. And what they found was that a combination of green tea extract and L-theanine was associated with improvements in immediate and delayed recall and general memory. Quote, as a natural ingredient with long history of consumption... LGNC-07, by the way, that's a combination technically of green tea and L-theanine, should be considered as a potential nutraceutical candidate for enhancing cognitive performance. 
unquote. And that was from the actual uh, senior author. And, and what was the level? Not that much. 100 to 200 milligrams a day. I suggest 400 to 800 milligrams under normal conditions. And depending upon what condition you may have, if you have Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS, if you are over the age of 50, then I'm suggesting 1,000 to 1,500 milligrams in divided doses a day. Now, that's the key. When I'm traveling throughout the world, which is right now very frequent, I always like to go to the local farmer's market in any country, in any village, because there I can see what the people are subsisting on and how well it's doing. And all over the planet, you'll see people growing coca, or in a lot of places. And they have used this for the millennium. Why? They know it's good for them. They know it gives them energy. But also, it has polyphenols. And those polyphenols do everything. They are just a full spectrum of healing. They will stimulate the immune system. They will help stimulate macrophage activity. So if you have AIDS-defining illnesses, polyphenols are very important. They will help you if you have cancer, any form of cancer. If you have diabetes, a superstar for helping you if you have diabetes. Local pains, polyphenols come to the rescue. Here's just the latest. Quote, Extracts from coca may block carbohydrate and lipid breakdown in the gut and aid weight management. This is according to a new study. And the scientists uh, for the Pennsylvania State University report polyphenols from coca, that's where we get our chocolate, inhibited various digestive enzymes in a dose-dependent manner, meaning the more polyphenols consumed, the greater the effect, and hence blocking a lot of the otherwise uh, carbs from being absorbed. Quote, the present study provides the first evidence that coca extracts and coca procyanins are potent inhibitors of key enzymes in the digestion of carbohydrates and lipids, those are fats in vitro. And these inhibitory activities are related to polyphenol content in coca extracts. That was published in the Journal of Agriculture and Food Chemistry. So it just means right now you can go into any health food store and you can get... Uh, a coca extract, you can get coca powder. Uh, of course, you can buy a, a chocolate bar. Now, if the chocolate bar has no processed sugars and no artificial emulsifiers and no dairy, and there are a lot of those out there now, that's good. If not, get the actual powder. I carry, when I travel, I carry a, a knapsack. <clears throat> and in it, I have a series of nine bags, and each bag has a mixture of powders. And in one bag, I have coca and uh, maca and other things. And in the others, I have an enormous mixture of red powders and green powders and then proteins and then uh, nutrients. So that no matter where I'm at, because where I go, a lot of times I won't eat the food and because of lack of hygiene or a lack of healthy food. But I always can live and live very well. I might mention the body breaks all this down and really supercharges it. So get your coca, along with your green tea. Exercise protects the heart. Yes, we know that. Via nitric oxide. Ah, this is something new. This is published in Science Daily. It was uh, put into circulation research, the Peer Review Journal, and done at the Emory University School of Medicine. Here's what it says. Exercise both reduces the risk of heart attack and protects the heart from injury if a heart attack does occur. For years, doctors have been trying to dissect how the second benefit of exercise works with the aim of finding ways to protect the heart after a heart attack. Nitric oxide, by the way, which is a very short-lived gas generated within the body, turns on chemical pathways that relax blood vessels to increase blood flow and activate survival pathways. And both the chemical nitrate, uh, where nitric oxide is attached to protein via sulfur, appears to act as convertible reservoirs of nitric oxide in situations where the body needs it, such as a lack of blood flow or oxygen. So this is important, and this is why you should be exercising one hour every morning or every evening, if, if possible. 
I'm Gary Knoll. That's the latest on health and healing. Uh, We always like to bring you everything that's important here. And we'll be back in a moment. Now, I'm going to do several commentaries now, short ones, and I would like for you to have a chance to call in and share your points of view. First, let's look at the facts that certain government agencies have intentionally lied to us. Recently, I was, in, I was out in Arizona, in Sedona. Beautiful community, lots of nice, creative people there. And there was a film festival. And one of my own films had won the uh, Stone International Film Festival about two years before that, three years before that, The Dragging of Our Children. And I was not there to see one of my films. I was there to see the other films. One of them was on the Pat Tillman story. This is just this past year. And um, this was to be the new Bush war hero, canonized as a martyr by Rumsfeld and Freedom of Information Act. Army medical examiners, suspicious of three bullet holes in his forehead, and the medical evidence didn't match the public report given to the media. First, we were told that he was killed by enemy fire. Then friendly fire. Then evidence, perhaps, very unfriendly, friendly fire, meaning he was he was going to go public with what he saw going on, and because he was a very popular uh, personality and a very powerful personality, it could be very damaging to the war effort. And that's what some suspect. Doctors' names were blanked out from the docs provided under the Freedom of Information Act. The suspicious suspicions he was intentionally killed. Um, in any case, uh, Temple was not a warmonger, and there's evidence he planned to meet with Noam Chomsky upon his return. He had already planned to meet with a lot of people in the anti-war movement. Well, he never made it home. But mind you, they intentionally, with malice aforethought, uh, came forward uh, to lie to us. Then we had the Iraq and babies in Kuwait, uh, the Nerara testimony. It refers to the controversial testimony given before the Non-Governmental Commission Human Rights Caucus on October 10, 1990, by a female who gave only her first name, Nerara. In her emotional testimony, she stated that she had witnessed Iraqi soldiers take babies out of incubators, take the incubators, and leave the babies on the floor to die. Now, though the reporters did not have access to Kuwait at the time, her testimony was regarded as credible. It was used by Bush and everyone else in his administration, and it was heavily publicized. It was cited numerous times by the United States senators and the president for the rationale to back Kuwait in the Gulf War. Her story was initially corroborated by Amnesty International and testimony from evacuees. And following the liberation of Kuwait, reporters were given access to the country and found her story of stolen incubators unsubstantiated. However, they did find that a number of people died when nurses and doctors fled the country. Now, in 1992, it was revealed that her last name uh, was Al-Shaba and that she was the daughter of the uh, Saad bin uh, Al-Saba, the Kuwait ambassador to the United States. And further, it was revealed that her testimony was all lies. It was organized as part of the Citizens for Free Kuwait public relations campaign, which was run by Hill and Knowlton for the Kuwait government. And following this, her testimony has since largely come to be regarded as wartime propaganda. Then you had the Jessica Dawn Lynch. And uh, she was a former private first class in the U.S. Army a quartermaster corps, and she served in Iraq during the 2003 invasion and by U.S. and Allied forces. And on March 23, 2003, she was injured and captured by Iraqi forces, but was recovered on April 1st by U.S. Special Operations Forces, with the incident subsequently receiving considerable news coverage. And Lynch was the first successful rescue of an American POW since World War II and the first ever of a woman. Now, initial media reports on Lynch's recovery in Iraq were incorrect. Lynch, along with major media outlets, fault the U.S. government for creating the story as part of the Pentagon's propaganda effort. And Jim Wilkinson is credited for creating 
and fabricating the government's narrative. And on April 24, 2007, Iraqi veteran Jessica Lynch, who had been captured by the Iraqis after a firefight, gave testimony for the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform that the Pentagon had erroneously portrayed her as a Rambo from the hills of West Virginia when, in fact, she never fired a shot after her truck uh, was ambushed and she had been knocked unconscious when the vehicle crashed. It was all a lie. Everything we were told was a lie. All the video that the government filmed, it was all lies. Then the Gulf of Tonkin incidents, or the USS Matic incident, are the names given to two incidents, one disputed involving North Korea, or excuse me, North Vietnam and the United States in the waters of the Gulf of Tonkin. On August 2nd, 1964, the destroyer USS Maddox, while performing a DeSoto patrol, was engaged by three North Vietnamese Navy torpedo boats of the 135th Torpedo Squadron. Now, sea battle resulted in which the Maddox expended over 280 three and five inch shells and which involved the strafing from four U.S. Navy F-8 cruiser jet fighter bombers. One U.S. aircraft was damaged, and one 14-millimeter round hit the destroyer. Three North Vietnamese torpedo boats were damaged, and four North Vietnamese soldiers were killed, and six were wounded. There were no U.S. casualties. And the second Tonkin incident was originally claimed by the U.S. National Security Agency to have occurred on August 4, 1964, as another sea battle, but instead may involve the Tonkin ghost. It did not actually happen. The outcome of these two incidents was the passage by Congress of the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which granted President Johnson the authority to assist any Southeast Asian country whose government was considered to be jeopardized by communist aggression. And that was how we got into the Vietnam War. And in 2005, an internal National Security Agency historical study was declassified. It concluded that the Maddox had engaged in North North Vietnamese Navy on August 2nd, but there was no uh, North Vietnamese Navy vessels present during the incident on August 4th, meaning it was a complete lie. So here we have no attacks, but it allowed us to get into Vietnam. We had no babies thrown on the floor in a hospital, but it gave the world the justification going to uh, Kuwait. We had no hero in Jessica Lynch, and we had no hero in, um, in Pat Tilson. Tilson may have been murdered, but at the very least, everything about what we were told about him was lies. <clears throat> and that's unfortunate. I'm going to play you now a clip of the Jessica Lynch um, fiasco, the total cover-up from, for which no one was ever held accountable. Please listen now. The image of war is now created by military and political powers. Television's job is to translate it into mythology. Everybody remembers Jessica Lynch, the 19-year-old private captured in an ambush and rescued by American special forces. The story started like this. Pat, I'll take your questions. Tom. Brooks, uh, we noticed that uh, you made no mention of the rescue of Jessica Lynch and the special operations that went on. We understand that there is video taken by a combat camera team. Can you show us that video? Uh, We did have the opportunity to have a combat camera crew with the assault force, and we'll show you only the portion that has a PFC Lynch being retrieved. Uh, Do we have the tape? Incredibly, the cassette was already cued in the VCR. It was in the Saddam Hospital in Anasarbia. And the commentary was prepared. We were successful in that operation last night and did retrieve PFC Jessica Lynch, bringing her away from that location of danger. This single video clip produced and directed by the Army is the only document of Private Lynch's rescue. As a result the basis of a story that developed over seven months. Sources say ABC the same day. Extraction, which means Army Rangers would secure the perimeter of the TV runs with the story with a dramatic 3D animation based on unnamed sources. To the waiting Black Hawk helicopter. CBS the same day. A military post that had been Lynch's uncomfortable home for ten long days. We just arrived here at Saddam Hospital. It was here she lay suffering from two broken legs 
wounds, a broken arm, and multiple gunshot wounds, being treated not by a doctor, but by an Iraqi pharmacist. Now with serious wounds and incompetent doctors, CBS doesn't name their sources either. The Pentagon says she is the first American prisoner of war to be rescued from hostile territory since World War II. The headline in the Washington Post, she was fighting to the death. In it, Private First Class Lynch is portrayed as a kind of Rambo. The source, U.S. officials. April 12th, Jessica Lynch is a certified hero and a media celebrity. 600 articles have been written about her. Television networks compete for an interview. MTV offers her a show. Her agent negotiates a million-dollar book deal, and NBC prepares a television movie, Saving Private Lynch. It's very important to us as Americans to bring back our fellow soldiers. Uh, but most importantly is to bring back somebody like Private First Class Lynch, who was risking her life on the battlefield. One month later, journalists arrive at Saddam Hospital without a military escort. Their investigation turns the story on its head. Private Lynch hadn't been shot in a firefight, as earlier reports suggested. ABC, May 7th. ...to have broken her leg when her truck overturned. An orthopedic surgeon who was due to set Private Lynch's broken leg the following morning says U.S. soldiers put a gun to his head as they burst into the operating room. We start shouting, we are doctors, don't shoot. The hospital staff says there were no Iraqi troops on the premises when the Americans rushed in. They had all left the morning before the rescue. The soldiers broke down doors in the intensive care unit when they could have just asked where she was. Private Lynch has yet to give her own account of her captivity here or her rescue. She remains in seclusion at the Army's Walter Reed Hospital, reportedly suffering from amnesia. And also June 17th, the Washington Post revises its original story. Does it make any difference? No. The myth of Jessica is stronger than the facts. Thank you for being here. July 21st, Private Lynch is decorated for bravery. She is just 20 years old, but Jessica Lynch comes home with the experience of a long, painful journey. I would like to say thank you to everyone who hoped and prayed for my safety. Whether or not she will be able to remember that time. One month later, she retires from the Army and takes up a media career. November 9, NBC airs the telefilm Saving Jessica Lynch. In light of its serious nature, there are no commercial breaks. Variety calls it Mission Impossible but Real. November 11th, Veterans Day. It is clear that Ms. Lynch has been taken into many American hearts. She's done her first television. Her book is published. ABC wins the scoop of Jessica's first interview. So just to get this clear, yeah. did you fire your weapon back and did you kill any Iraqis? No. No. My weapon did jam and I did not shoot. Not Even a Jessica admits her story no, was false. No, nothing. But the lies and manipulations didn't matter. It was too late. The Pentagon had written a perfect television script and that's what remains in memory. I'd like to welcome all of you. I'm Gary Knoll. N now for a short commentary. I'd like to, that's just to give you an example of what was clearly and unequivocally and inarguably intended to be a lie. And that's not the only one. Think of the people who lied to got us into Vietnam and 3.5 million people died because of it. Two short commentaries and then I'll open the lines to you. This is from Robert Shear. He was our kind of guy until he wasn't an ally during the Cold War until he no longer served our purposes. The problem with Osama bin Laden was not that he was a fanatical holy warrior. We liked his kind just fine as long as the infidels he targeted were not us, but Russians and the secular Afghans in power in Kabul whom the Soviets backed. But when bin Laden turned against us, he morphed into a figure of evil incarnate. And now, three decades after we first decided to use him and other imported Muslim zealots for our Cold War purposes, we feel cleansed by his death of any responsibility for this carnage. We may make mistakes, but we never, ever are wrong. USA, USA.
kind of like when the CIA assigned the mafia to assassinate Fidel Castro, <clears throat> and the mafia turned out to be having their own agenda. Or when the Pentagon experts anointed the Catholic nutcase, uh, Den Diem, as the George Washington of predominantly Buddhist South Vietnam, and uh, before they felt the need to execute him. A similar fate was suffered by Saddam Hussein, whose infamous Baghdad handshake with Donald Rumsfeld stamped him as our agent in the war to defeat the Ayatollahs of Iran. Awkward, I know, to point out that bin Laden was another of those monsters of our creation. One of those Muslim freedom fighters that President Ronald Reagan celebrated for having responded to the CIA's call to kill the Soviets in Afghanistan. That holy crusade against the infidels was financed by Saudi Arabia and armed with U.S. weapons to oppose a secular Afghan government with Soviet backing, but before Soviet troops had crossed the border. In short, it was ill-fated and unjustifiable intervention by the U.S. into another nation's internal affairs. Don't trust me on this. Just read the 1996 memoir by former Carter administration security official and current Secretary of Defense Robert Gates a book touted by its publisher for exposing, quote, Carter's never-before-revealed covert support to Afghan Mujahideen six months before the Soviets invaded, unquote. This, dism this dismissal of the claimed Cold War excuse for the backing of the Mujahideen was acknowledged by President Jimmy Carter's National Security Advisor, Brzezinski, who, when asked by the French magazine uh, Lenovo, if he regretted having given arms to, and advice to future terrorists, he said no. That was said three years before those stirred-up Muslims like bin Laden and the 9-11 plot mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, whom bin Laden financed and whom he first met in Afghanistan when both were U.S.-backed fighters, launched their deadly attacks on the United States. The cost of the American response to that assault has spiraled toward upwards for a decade. A defense budget that the first President Bush had attempted to cut drastically because the Cold War was over was pushed to its highest peacetime levels by the second President Bush, and now with three wars underway, equals the military expenditures of all of the world's other nations combined. But while Libya and Iraq have oil to exploit, what will be the argument for continuing the war in Afghanistan now that bin Laden is gone. White House national security experts have already conceded that there were fewer than a hundred scattered al-Qaeda operatives in all of Afghanistan and that these were incapable of mounting anti-U.S. attacks. Clearly what remains of al-Qaeda is no longer based in Afghanistan as the location of bin Laden's hiding place in a military hub in Pakistan demonstrated. Nor is there any indication that the Taliban we are fighting in Afghanistan are anything but homegrown fighters with motives and leadership far removed from the designs of the late bin Laden. It's time to concede that the mess that is Afghanistan is the result of our cynical use of those people and their land for purposes that have nothing to do with their needs or aspirations. Even if bin Laden had been killed in some forlorn cave in Afghanistan, it would not have made the case that we, he was using the country as a base. <clears throat> but in fact... He was an area amply populated by the very Pakistani military and intelligence forces that we have armed and that should have been able to easily nab him. Gives the lie to the claim that Afghanistan is vital territory. And finally, finally from Robert Fisk. <clears throat> Again, a short one. So why are we in Afghanistan? Didn't the Americans and the British go there in 2001 to fight Osama bin Laden? Wasn't he killed on Monday? There was painful symbolism in the NATO airstrike yesterday, scarcely 24 hours after bin Laden's death, that killed yet more Afghan security guards. For the truth is that we long ago lost the plot in the graveyard of empires, turning a hunt for the now largely irrelevant inventor of global jihad into a war against tens of thousands of Taliban insurgents who have little interest in al-Qaeda, but much enthusiasm to drive Western armies out of their country. The hopes of Karzai and Hillary Clinton that the Taliban will be so cowled by the killing of bin Laden that they will want to become pleasant Democrats and humbly join the Western-supported and utterly corrupt leadership of Afghanistan shows just how out of touch they are with the blood-soaked reality of the country. Some of the Taliban admired bin Laden, but they did not love him, and he had 
been no part of their campaign against NATO. Mullah Omar is more dangerous to the West in Afghanistan than bin Laden, and he hasn't been killed yet. Iran, for once, spoke for millions of Arabs in its response to bin Laden's death. An excuse for alien in countries to deploy troops in this region of the world under the pretext of fighting terrorism has been eliminated. Newspapers across the Arab world said the same thing. If this is such a great victory for the United States, it's time to go home, which, of course, the United States has no intention of doing. That many Americans think the same thing is not going to change the topsy-turvy world in which U.S. policy is framed. For there is one home truth which the world still has not grasped, that the revolutions in Tunisia and Egypt and more pressing the bloodbaths in Libya and Syria and the dangers to Lebanon are of infinitely graver importance than blowing away a bearded man who has been elevated in the West's immature imagination into disproportion. Turkish Prime Minister Brian Address in Istanbul yesterday, calling for the Syrians to stop killing their people and for Gaddafi to leave Libya, was more elegant, more powerful, more historic than the petty, boastful Hollywood speeches of Obama and Clinton on Monday. We are now wasting our time speculating who will take over al-Qaeda when the movement has no leadership such as bin Laden, being the founder rather than the boss. But a day being a long time in the killing fields of the Middle East, just 24 hours after Obama died, other questions were growing thicker yesterday. If, for example, Barack Obama really thinks the world is a safer place after bin Laden's death, how come the U.S. has increased its threat alert and embassies around the world after being told to take extra precautions against attack? And just what did happen in that tatty compound? No longer, it seems, a multi-million dollar mansion. But when bin Laden's Sulfur's life was brought to an end. Human Rights Watch is unlikely to be the only institution to demand a thorough, transparent investigation. There was the initial story from Pentagon sources, which had two bin Laden wives killed and a woman held as a human shield dying too. Within hours, the wives were alive and the third woman simply disappeared. And then, of course, there's Pakistan, eagerly telling the world that it participated in the attack of bin Laden, only to have President Zardi retract the entire story. <clears throat> and then there's bin Laden's secret burial in the Arabian, Arabian Sea. Was this planned for before the attack on bin Laden? With a clear, clear plan to kill rather than capture him? And if it was carried out according to Islamic rites, the dead man's body washed in place in a white shroud, it must have taken a long time for the officer on the USS um, uh, Carl Vincent, to devise a 15-minute religious ceremony and arrange for an Arabic-speaking sailor to translate it. So now for a reality check. The world is no safer f- for bin Laden's killing. It is safer because of the winds of freedom blowing through the Middle East. If the West treats the people of this region with justice rather than military firepower, then al-Qaeda becomes even more irrelevant than it has been since the Arab revolutions. <laughs> Let's say hello in studio, uh, and I will take some more calls on this. Uh, please call in with your thoughts, and uh, we'll be happy to get you on the air. Let's say hello to Elizabeth. Hi, Hi. Elizabeth. Hello, Gary. Hi. Um, firstly, congratulations on the completing of your filming today in Kyoto. Uh, it's for an important new film. Um, could you tell us when you'll be coming back city? I'm on my way. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, Secondly, uh, we have an article here. Um, it concerns a summit that's just taken place in Florida. Um, it's the Casey Research Summit. Um, it was a lot of investors and great w- of the great experts from the world's um, topic and you know economic experts have been here, have been there, and um, they are they wanted to predict where the economy will be headed in the um, months and years ahead, and um, this is by a gentleman called Roy Fur, by the way, and they were asked, uh, I'd like to quote from this and just quickly read it, but on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being it all gets better from here and 10 being the unthinkable, how bad do they think that it could get the economy? And 
Um, to quote from the article, the consensus was that our current situation of enormous sovereign debt and the associated race to debase the globe's currencies would get worse, not to mention civil unrest in the Middle East and North Africa or even Wisconsin, or the fact that oil production seems to have peaked and is declining even before production was taken offline due to the con conflicts. Um, the most optimistic of the experts suggested we'd experience about a five, not too good but not too bad, but according to Roy Fur, what took attendance, what, what took attendees back um, were, for example, John Williams, who's a truth digger and founder of Shadow Government Statistics. He predicted that we are approaching the top of the scale rapidly and that the lib was ready to blow on, the, on a pressure cooker of economic manipulation deteriorating fundamentals. The outlook was similarly negative from James G. Rickards, direct participant in many of the most significant financial events of the past 30 years, as well as a senior managing director for market intelligence at Omnis. And perhaps the most frightening picture was painted by jo John Robb, expert on guerrilla warfare tactics and the new open source warfare, who not only concur with the dire outlook, but who also was quick to explain that should worse come to worse, we could actually see severe degradation of civilization as we know it. And the, what's important, I th we think, is that you had been predicting this more than three years ago when no one else had been paying attention, and you've been right on every issue um, as things seem to be playing out in the economy. Is there, is there a simple solution a short answer to getting our economy going and getting our jobs back. Would you be able to address that, please? Well, yes. I do believe that for the vast majority of Americans, it's going to get very bad. I believe we're going into a massive depression economically. I believe that home foreclosures will increase, that the value of property is going to decrease, that uh, the Fed will keep the interest rates at zero because it can't do anything other than that now and that has given the money in the wrong place, and it had that money has not helped revitalize the United States on any level whatsoever. Uh, so it's just a massive fraud. What will help is if you had simply one flat tax on all corporate earnings, because if you look at all the major oil companies, they actually only pay anywhere from 2.5 to 13% tax on billions of dollars in profits. So we're not getting, the American Treasury is not getting its fair share of income from these major corporations. But if everyone, everyone, every corporation in America simply paid one flat, let's say, 10% tax, you would have an additional trillion dollars, more than, almost more than what we collect now. And you allowed no deductions. That way you prevent money from getting out of the country. You prevent all these shell games. You can get rid of the IRS completely. And then you do the same thing. You have a sales tax. And that brings money in at the state level and the, and the local level. And so if we have one flat federal tax, one flat corporate tax, and then higher sales taxes, then you are able to have enough money. And yet you have not punished any one group. So therefore, everyone... Everyone benefits, and then you reduce your spending. I would put together a uh, I would put together a three trillion dollar uh, Federal Reserve give to small business owners only, with the provision that for every million dollars they hire one person at thirty dollars an hour plus health benefits, which is a living wage, and that would give you in small order, about 6 million new jobs, all paying taxes, all spending money in their local economy, being able to save their home, and therefore rebuilding America, and have them pay it back with a small interest, a 2% interest, but give them a holiday of three years before they have to pay the principal back, beginning paying principal, they just pay interest, so you have income coming back, but you then, in effect, rejuvenate America. So if a guy, a woman borrows $2 million and they start a business locally, they might hire 5, 10, 15 people, not just the one that is required for every million dollars. So you might have an additional 5 or 10 million. You could literally create, a, a re uh, you could have everyone in America benefit, but we're not doing it that way, unfortunately. Thank you for that. And Jason, you had one comment? Oh. Yeah, very quickly, Gary. Yeah. So we just recently hit our limit of 5,000 people on Facebook, and I wanted to inform the people that there's an official <laughs> Gary Null fan page, which you can easily access by going to facebook.com slash 
forward slash Gary Null. You just got to click right there on the link. And what we've been doing is we're posting new articles basically 24-7 about progressive issues with the best progressive writers out there, including many of our great hosts. These articles are linked from GaryNull.com and ProgressiveRadioNetwork.com onto your fan page, giving our listeners a few more options to get all their progressive news. Well, good, because most Facebook, I don't, on my Facebook, I don't allow, you know, self-promotional schemes or martyr level or all this whole dribble. I want it to be a Facebook for progressive people to come and share information, articles, uh, and things are relevant, and that's what we have, and we have a really empowered group, and I wanted articles. So we've hired writers and editors who work 24-7 supplying Progressive Radio Network and our Facebook with those articles. So thank you. Thank you, Gary. Okay. And give us give your phone number in case people want to send information from around the world. Oh, yes, sir. 646-926-5428. Good. So this way, if you come across a story or a resource, something that is relevant, you have someone you can call and share that with, and we'll evaluate it and see if it's important enough to get on the air. Now, for those of you listening over the terrestrial stations, your land-based stations, we're going to be saying goodbye in a moment, but you can continue listening with my guests I'm going to go to now over ProgressiveRadioNetwork.com. If you forget that, just go to GaryNall.com. Let's say hello to Dr. Joseph DeBay. That's D-E-B-E. He is a board-certified nutritionist and chiropractor in New York State, and uh, he's here to talk about many of the medical laboratory tests that are critical for proper diagnosis of disease and relied upon by alternative medical practitioners not permitted in the state of New York, and there's a call to action to have them permitted. Nice to have you with us, Joseph. Hi, Gary. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Tell us the story. Okay, since I've been in practice, which is uh, well over 20 years, New York State has had... um, a unique position when it comes to laboratory testing. Uh, people may not uh, realize that um, not every laboratory does the same tests. There are actually hundreds of thousands of laboratories in the U.S., and there are many laboratories that specialize in different areas. In 49 out of 50 states, you have access to all of these laboratory tests. In New York State, we are uh, severely handicapped in the tests we can order. Uh, if we want to order a specialized test for toxicity from laboratories outside of New York, we can't do it. The Department of Health has uh, decided they know best, and they're going to determine which tests New Yorkers can have access to. So if you, if you live in any other state, you can have the test done. If you live in other countries, you could have the test done. If you live in Pakistan, you could have these tests done, but not if you live in New York. Okay. Well, what do you suggest people do? We've started a campaign. Um, Dr. Richard Siebert and myself uh, met with a New York State senator several weeks ago, and we've started an online petition. And people can go to our online petition and sign up, express their support. And once they sign, letters or emails will automatically be generated to their local uh, representatives, their uh, New York State senators and assemblymen. Uh, that's one thing that people can do. Uh, if, they, if they'd like to have a personalized touch, they could uh, write to their representatives directly. Uh, Dr. Siebert and I met with uh, some other doctors, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, who sends his regards, and uh, a few other medical doctors. And we're um, trying to do all we can to make this happen after decades of uh, being in practice and not having access to very valuable tests, we're fed up. We, we really want um, to change the situation once and for all. It may come down to a lawsuit. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. Okay. Well, thank you very much for bringing that to our attention. Thank you, Gary. Okay. Yesterday on Alex Jones, there was a Dr. Stephen R. Piznik. And um, he has a rather heavy-duty background. Um, He was the Deputy Assistant Secretary of State um, in several administrations. Uh, He worked um, in the Carter administration in Reagan and Bush, uh, Ford and Nixon. So he's been around a long time. And uh, 
he has a Ph.D. and an M.D. He's very credentialed, and he says that uh, he's prepared to tell a federal grand jury the name of a top general who told him directly 9-11 was a false flag attack. And he also says that top government insider that bin Laden died in 2001. Are these true or not? At this point, I have no way of determining that. We are investigating, but only after we investigate will we then um, bring someone like that on the air. Let's say hello to Jonathan from Brooklyn. Hi, Jonathan. Hey, Gary. Your hello? thoughts, please. Yes, you're on the air. Yes, Gary. Yeah, uh, about bin Laden. Uh, first of all... Um, <laughs> He basically was our guy. We gave him, like, hundreds of millions of dollars to fight the Russians. Um, also, he was never indicted for 911. Uh, if you looked on the FBI website, uh, um, I don't know if they still have his wanted posted there, but you won't see him being wanted for what happened in 911. And the Taliban asked for evidence that, you know, he did it. And uh, we never provided them because uh, they were going to hand him over to Bush, but uh, we never provided the evidence. Um, even if, you know, so there doesn't seem to be much evidence that he was involved in 911. And even if you believe he was involved with the planes that hit it, um, the planes themselves did not bring down the towers. The the towers basically um, dis- and disintegrated, you know, in, in seconds. And uh, no airplane can can do that. You had you fires going for months on end, and no jet fuel can burn for that long period of time. It just doesn't make sense that the planes caused the towers to fall down. So even if you believe that uh, bin Laden was behind 911, he didn't bring down the towers. S- somebody else brought down the towers. Somebody else pulled the trigger on that. And whoever that is is still out there. Um, uh, you know, as far as him dying, he supposedly have died in the December of 2001. I think there was a New York Times um, uh, notice on that, and there was even a funeral. And on the events that just happened just now, there's no physical evidence about what happened except for like a crashed helicopter and some photos of a messed up room. And you don't really see him at all in the photographs. Even before he died, supposedly you have uh, these troops who had... Uh, videos on their heads, you know, photographing everything. How come we didn't? We don't have any photos of him before he died. I mean, I mean, after he died, I can see, you know, you don't want to see him messed up with a shot in the head. But even beforehand, just to identify him, that he, this is who it is, that doesn't make sense. It seems like a fairy tale, almost like, um, like you were mentioning, like before with Tillman and these other stories, and also. It doesn't make sense that we didn't take him alive if he had the opportunity to do it. I mean, he would have so much information about terrorist activities. Why would we want to kill him unless we didn't want him to talk? So those are just my comments at this point. Okay, well, we're closing out this part of our program. Uh, Several things. First, I do not know what caused uh, the towers to collapse. All I know is that the official position, the official investigation, and the official report on 9-11... Are, is replete with misinformation. The truth is yet to emerge, but it, we're only at this point of even asking questions because some very credible physicists and architects and engineers said that they did not find it plausible that there could be this free fall from what occurred. We have yet to have another panel of people testifying under oath that we could have them present their information. So hence, it is still speculative. Secondly, if they had a uh, video connection on the helmets of the Navy SEALs, that means they also had audio. That meant that at any given moment, the commander-in-chief, the secretary of defense, the chief of joint chief staff, any one of those individuals could have interceded when they saw that Obama was not armed and said, take him alive. So it wasn't as if this was done unilaterally by a single Navy SEAL. They were all watching and listening to the entire episode. Then the question is, if you were watching an unarmed Osama bin Laden standing there, and you could have told the Navy SEAL, take him alive, or you could have said, 
shooting. Which was it? Now, clearly, they're not going to give this video because if we, they, we get our hands on the video, we would A, see it's not a mansion. B, it's just a fortified uh, series of block houses. B, we would see uh, that uh, someone gave an order. It was it someone there in the room. How many were in the room? How many Navy SEALs? Who was the commander of the Navy SEALs? By what determination, since Navy SEALs are extremely well-trained, extremely disciplined, these are the best of the best. These are the top dogs. These are not people with this type of um, this type of extraction who are likely to make any imprudent uh, decision. They're just not going to do that. So then the question is, who gave the order to kill him? And so these are the questions we need to know. We need to know this because we need to know motive. And uh, then we can, uh, you know, put this in proper perspective. And I believe that what we don't have at this moment is proper perspective. And I don't like to speculate. I listen to other people speculate. I prefer to wait until we have good quality information to make a determination. But thank you very much, Jonathan, for calling in. And we do not censor people when they call in. You have a chance to say whatever you wish to say. And you've given your point of view. Thank you. I'm Gary Knoll. We're out of time. And I want to thank you all for taking your time to listen in today. These are heady times. There's a lot going on. And uh, we'll try to keep you abreast and do the original investigations and do the critical analysis. So at least when we do a program, we can bring you perspectives, just like today with the Jessica Lynch uh, complete and total fabrication, which who, and no one was ever held accountable for that. No one ever apologized for having lied to the American public. And the same thing on Tillman, the same thing on the uh, uh, Gulf of Tonkin, and the same thing on invading Iraq initially uh, because of their Iraqs invading Kuwait, and but doing it on false pretenses. And so the story goes. Have a nice day, everyone. The Gary Knoll Show is produced in our New York City studio. The producer is Richard Gale. The engineer is Matt Bogart. All shows are archived by Joe Kemp. The chief archivist is Sharon Pride, and the program director is Jason Taubenfeld.